on uh, the screen here. Lord, open our hearts and minds by the power of the Holy Spirit, that as the scriptures are read and your word is proclaimed, we may hear with joy what you say to us today. Amen. I believe that we don't have a reader today. Oh, we do? Okay. All right. You got the scripture? Okay. Thank you very much, Stephen. Matthew 19, 16 to 26. The rich and the kingdom of God. Just, just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what is a good thing I must do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me, the, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There's only one who is good if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which one? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and love honor your honor your mother father and mother, sorry. And love thy neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said, What still do I lack? What still do I lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasures in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly, I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Stephen. You're welcome. Padme, can you put up the one that has the keys on it? I want to thank, by the way, Padme, who has run our slides in both services. So uh, let's give her a round of applause. She filled in in the first one, and she does a great job. I was trying to do it, and it's harder than you think to keep up with the, uh, the songs. Uh, than, than, or at least I start singing them, and then I forget to, to move the slide. So this Friday, I was at lunch with some, some folks that are in this room, and the topic of the day, of course, came up about uh, the Astros, and I was the only person not wearing an Astros shirt, and uh, people did note that, uh, and my, their estimation of me uh, decreased slightly. But um, one, of the, one of the guys at, at lunch said, I'm just telling my son to, to really value this time. Enjoy this time that you have a great team, a great home team, because it's a long time between great teams when you're uh, a sports fan. And so I thought, being the kind of person that I am, that the appropriate thing there to do would be to go home and get all the win-loss records of the Astros and try to figure out what was true there. So I went home and I graphed out the win-loss records of the Astros, because some of you may not know that I'm not from Houston, so I didn't grow up as an Astros fan. Uh, I did go to one game, I think about 94, 95, it was in the Astrodome, uh, and they were not very good then. But I thought I would graph it out just to see 
wins-loss records here of the Astros. Now, some of you are looking at those, and you can remember some of those teams, those peak teams. Uh, you can go, oh, yeah, that's when this, these players were there. That's when we were doing that. And, but I got here to Houston right in about 2009, which you can notice kind of what happened to the Astros right in about 2009. They went into that period of rebuilding, you might say, but just fielding really bad teams. I remember when I was first watching baseball, really for the first time in my life, going to games, uh, I was, people were saying things like, this team is not even a professional league team. This is a triple-A team that they're fielding here. And there was a lot of uh, a lot of people unhappy with the product on the field, and even some people who understood what they were doing still nonetheless thought it was unwatchable, attendance wasn't great, all sorts of things were happening. But then, of course, it bottoms out and things start to turn around. And I remember I was at a game with a number of people from this congregation again, and we were in 2016, I want to say. It was the first game that Bregman played in the major leagues, and it was against the Yankees. And I remember the feeling. So already things had begun to turn around, but we're not at the World Series heights that were to come. And what I remember, what I loved about it was, it was this complete reversal of things. From a team that you expected to completely lose, to all of a sudden beginning to feel like new things were possible. In the language of our scripture today, that things that were impossible were becoming possible. And those of you that have been along for the journey there, you know that feeling where you start to go, oh wow, like, maybe we're not terrible now. And all of a sudden you're like, hey, we might start winning games. You start winning a few games and then you're like, oh my gosh, we're winning more games, and all, the, and then it just, and all of a sudden your expectations start to rise, and things that you never would have thought about a year previously start to enter into your minds. And now, you know, it's an expectation of young people. We were talking to some of the kids in the first service. They've only, since they've been like aware of things, the Astros have been World Series contenders, and that's their expectations of them. But when you really look at it, you see that for a long time, when you look at that, that the Astros were sort of a middling team not good and not bad, just kind of oscillating between things. And it was really after they went intentionally bad that they, they got good. And you guys know from anyone who's a sports fan that, uh, you know, rebuilding like that is a risky thing because sometimes it works out or sometimes you just get bad and you stay bad. And nothing quite works out for you. So it was a risky thing, and they took that risk that you might say, you probably can see where I'd be going with this, a leap of faith. And all of a sudden, the possible, impossible, was possible. I bet you, you've had times in your life where things that you thought were impossible all of a sudden became possibilities. There's some positive examples that I'm sure, like maybe you, you, know, you were going along at this salary, and then all of a sudden you got a promotion, and then you're like, you know what? We might be able to get a boat now, you know? And that idea got into your head. 
Or, or maybe something happened to your life. You met someone or, or, or some major change in your family or something like that. And, and things that you felt like were impossible all of a sudden were possible. That, that there can be these changes in our life where new possibilities open up. And it can be amazing when you think, like a week ago, my whole reality was different than it is now. But there's also times when we don't accept the possibility. And this passage with, in our scripture today, we see an example of this. Now, usually when I would talk about this passage, I might talk about wealth more directly. That's, after all, you could argue the major point in some ways of, the, of this passage. And Jesus's, spoiler alert, Jesus's view of wealth is not tremendously positive. But today I wanted to kind of focus on this event itself. So there's this young man Sometimes he's called the young rich ruler. And he comes to Jesus. And I think we need to give him as much credit as we can in this story. And say that, let's just take him at face value. That he comes to Jesus and he wants to know what he can have to inherit eternal life. Now this whole series I'm talking about is about the kingdom of God. What in living into that kingdom. And eternal life is one of the words that is used to to denote this kingdom. Jesus preaches about this kingdom of God. It's a long-standing hope for his people of when God's rule on earth would be like it is in heaven. So when earth would resemble heaven. And the big question for everybody there was, what do we need to do to be ready for this? What do we need to do to live in the world as you intended? How do you want us to live is another way of thinking about this. And so he asks Jesus this, and he says, keep the commandments, just as Sarah said. And then he adds also, love your neighbor as yourself, and brings these things together. This is all from the Old Testament. And and the guy says, hey, I've done these things. And he says, well, give up your wealth and follow me. And then he can't. It's not a small ask. But, but what only thing we really know about this guy is that he's wealthy, right? Pious, wealthy guy. And you can imagine that when he approached Jesus, he sort of had a box of possibilities. A box of possibilities that he saw his life in. Things that Jesus could tell him. Well, you might want to shore up the honor of your father and mother a little bit more. Or have you thought about this other commandment? But whatever Jesus was going to ask, because he had this sort of box, he imagined that what was going to be in that box was him being a wealthy person. That's just who he was. 
Especially in that day and age, where that wealth would have been family-oriented, and, and he would have inherited it, and it would have been part of his clan and his family, and all these things. So he can't, I don't think he could have imagined himself outside of that box of being a wealthy person. That was who he was. That's what he was in the world. That was an essential part of who he was. That wealth. So there was no way he could imagine himself outside of that. And what Jesus is telling him is in one sense free, that wealth isn't who you are. And on the other side, terrifying. That wealth isn't who you are. Those boxes we live our life in. Those things that we believe are essential about who we are. A lot of positive things. Our role in our family, role in our church, all these things. That we, that we construct and say, whoever I am, these things are who I am. But let's admit it. There's also a lot of negative things there, too. That we say, that whatever change happens into my life, it's going to have to be within this box. Uh, because I'm just not able to be free of that. One time I was doing an internet deep dive, and I will, like many of you probably, I'll get watching something on YouTube and start just, you know, next thing I know I'm watching things about aliens or something like that. And uh, So I started watching, and I went on a deep dive of animal cruelty in Asia. And so I started finding out about this, which is which I would have never have thought of, farming bears for bile. There are thousands of bears in cages like this all over parts of Asia. And they grow up their whole life in these cages. And bears don't live like chickens. We're talking 20 years and these kinds of things. And so there's a shelter, multiple shelters, that tries to rehabilitate these bears when they're discovered. It's not legal, you know, but when it's discovered. And what's interesting about this, as you could sort of imagine, is that you can put a caged bear out in a place that they would normally find to be their habitat, you can open up the cage, and they're not going to get out. That's because they've lived their whole life in that box. They can't imagine 
what life is like outside that cage. Their whole life has just been a decision. Do I sit on this side of the cage or do I sit on that side of the cage? The idea of leaving the cage just doesn't even come into their minds. They're so, so constructed where they live. And so these people who rescue these animals, they, they actually have to teach the bear how to be a bear. It's to reawaken in them the instincts of a bear. It's, it's crazy when you think about it that a bear forgets how to be a bear, forgets what a bear does. And so they have to slowly lead them out of their cage. Then they have to teach them how to forage things. How to understand that there are other bears. You know, introduce them to other bears. And these animals have to slowly, over years sometimes, be reintroduced to who they actually are. And they wouldn't do it alone. Who knows how long it would take a bear bred in captivity to finally venture out of a cage. And it wouldn't know how to survive. I wonder the cages that we live in. The boxes that we have said, this is who I am and I can never be different. Because we all are in these cages in some way or another. Some of the cages that you are in go really far back. Cages you might have gotten in when you were a kid. Some of them are more recent, just things that you can't imagine how it could be any different, and you feel afraid. The thought of change terrifies. Or you feel ashamed you were ever in a cage, or to admit that there is one. But we all live in these things. We all have convinced ourselves that there is something inside of us that is essential, that in God's mind is not essential. We've all said that there's some pain, some shame, some guilt, some bad feeling, some this thing about us. We say, I cannot be me unless I'm this, unless I have this job, unless I am this person, unless I act this way, unless I am scared, unless I am this or whatever. And we say, this is, has to be me. For me to be me, this has to be so. And we have constructed this cage, and yet the kingdom of God knows no cages. Those that follow Jesus are awakened to a new birth, a, a life that is not about the cages that we would live in, but a life that is open, that Jesus, just like those caretakers, is beckoning us out of to teach us how to be who we truly are, to be the kinds of people, to love unconditionally, to be parts of divine love on earth that we have been created to be, to restore in us, to teach us humans how to be human. Free us from the cages, but yet 
Just like those bears that had to begin to trust those keepers, that there was life for them outside the cage. It's faith and belief that there is life for us outside these cages. That there is a life for us where we are forgiven people. Where the sin in our hearts has been wiped away. Where the ways that we feel like we are a failure do not matter. We are being called by Jesus Christ to a life that we may have forgotten. And so the question is, will you come out?